Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the program podcast, a college sports podcast brought to you by Taproom Sports. I am your host, Jordan Lads, and I am joined with my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Brian Lewis. What's going on, Brian? Oh, Jordan, it's a pleasure to actually do this project. We've been talking for months about this, and yes. you get a college sports podcast. I mean, once the bean pot reopens, we can mention some college hockey because there are some good talent in New England as well. So try to cover the whole background of what's going on in the in the, coll- in the collegiate aspect of things because I think college got kind of forgotten about with COVID. Yeah, which is crazy because, honestly, college sports is some of my favorite sports. College football, obviously – you and I have been talking college football together for like 10 years now. I think so. It seems like that long. Seems pretty close, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, both of us are very passionate about college sports. So, you know, I always thought I've always wanted to do a podcast with someone like you about college. So I'm, I'm stoked to be here, stoked to be doing this. So let's hop right into it, man. We have the college football playoff uh, kicking off on January 1st. We got Clemson versus Ohio State, your Ohio State Buckeyes, and then we got Bama versus Notre Dame. You know how I feel, but do you think the committee got this right? I mean, realistically, if you're a a non-biased fan and you're, like, for the genuine purpose of what the playoff was supposed to be, Cincinnati got porked. I mean, that's really the only team I feel sympathy for. But at the same time, I think Notre Dame is not like the same level Ohio state played 12 games at worst they're 11 and one and they're still in the conversation. Notre Dame is 10 and two basically because there's no way they would have beaten Clemson the first time had Trevor Lawrence been healthy or the defense. Well, I mean, it's Notre Dame. Like, I mean, they're competing. Look at the schools. Notre Dame is competing against recruiting wise, Stanford, um, Penn state, Michigan, Michigan, Boston College, Syracuse, Maryland, and Virginia. Those are not the school. And I'll even add North Carolina because Notre Dame's trying to recruit in the Carolinas. We'll see how far that lasts. But at the same time, those are not the schools that Notre Dame should be comparing themselves to. Like Notre Dame used to be able to compete against USC and UCLA. Now, granted, UCLA's got a whole athletic department revamp going on. But like – SEC schools blow them out of the water because they can keep kids in in house. And that goes in the West Coast, too. I mean, Najee Harris happens, what, once every nine years or ten years or so? Oh, man. Bama's plucked, like, the last three top recruits from the West Coast. They plucked uh, 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 Bryce Young. They plucked Tua Tagovailoa. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, these SEC schools are coming into the West Coast now, and they're getting some of the top West Coast talent, which is – I mean, this is a conversation for a different conversation if we wanted to get into this. But I think that would be the Notre Dame case. Like, Cincinnati, on the other hand, the American Athletic Conference needs to stop getting disrespected. Because there are as many many three or four-star prospects going there than there are going to the ACC, Big Ten, and I would say even the bottom level of the Big 12 schools. Because 
can't really compete. Even the only schools in the SEC that are really on that shit level are South Carolina and Vanderbilt. And South Carolina is basically a sleeping giant, essentially, because once you can recruit in South Carolina, like Arkansas, if they can recruit in state, they're going to win eight, nine games every year because that's how good the football, high school football talent is there. And not everywhere is like that. Yeah, but I mean, realizes that we're the talking Midwest, about, yeah. we're, but Brian, we're talking about what's done on the field, not recruiting. This is about playing right. the games, winning the games. But that's and... where the talent discrepancy is. And that's why Alabama's just going to raw dog Notre Dame like they did in 2012. Yeah, no, they're going to beat the shit out of Notre Dame. This game might be a 21 or more blowout for sure. Um, and but, but my point was that Notre Dame wouldn't have won that game against Clemson because Clemson had six starters on defense out, plus Trevor Lawrence out. But even DJ Ugalele, that's another West Coast prospect, by the way, he right. was excellent, dude. I mean, he was able to put up over 50 points against Notre Dame. So when they were able to do that, I was like, dude, if Clemson's healthy, they're fucking waxing uh i mean never mind that travis etienne should be on an nfl roster right now maybe for a playoff team as a third down similar to what dylan's doing similar to what deandre swift's been doing now that he gets the opportunity in detroit like etienne is as good as some of these rookie running backs in the nfl and he's still playing at clemson yep yep so who do you have winning these games? Obviously, you got Bama winning against Notre Dame, but let's talk about Ohio State versus Clemson because there is such a your Ohio State guys. There is such a deep-rooted hatred here. Um, <laughs> Clemson, I mean, obviously, the most memorable thing that comes up historically with this is the Woody Hayes neck chop. I don't know what the hell that was. He was trying to – I don't know if that's where Ric Flair got the chop from, maybe just size <laughs> the chest. I don't know. But Woody Hayes, that goes way back to that. And, of course – Clemson, that 2013 Orange Bowl, which is one of my favorite football games I ever watched, even an Ohio State loss. Braxton Miller versus Taj Boyd. I will sign up for that any day again. JT Barrett being JT Barrett, of course, you know. But Justin Fields kind of gives me JT Barrett vibes this year, and that's really concerning because Clemson will just run the same game plan with the same kind of athletes. If anything, they're better. I think they're better at defensive end but they're worse at defensive tackle because there's no replicating uh, Christian Wilkins at defensive tackle that soon. But I think for Clemson, it's really more so the fact that Trevor Lawrence is just way too comfortable. I mean, considering that Justin Ross went out the way he went out and Clemson didn't yeah. offensively. Nope, not at all. I mean, it took them a couple games to get their stride going, but then they really started hitting it. And then, you know, Trevor Lawrence got COVID. They lost that game against Notre Dame. But like you said, I mean, they've been rolling lately. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. Clemson's going to – they're going to beat the shit out of Ohio State, though. I mean, Sorry, Ohio Ryan. State in the six games, like outside of the second half in the Northwestern game, they haven't consistently been able to run the football well. and Which is weird. That's usually what Ohio State they have. does well. Right, and it's almost like Ryan Day doesn't want to call the run. It's just like, oh, let's just chuck the ball over the field. If Chris Olave is healthy, that opens that opens that up a little more. But, I mean, Fields isn't Dwayne Haskins, for example, where he could gun the ball over the field if you just tell him, hey, this is one, this is two, this is three. And, yeah. oh, that, that was how simple the offense was for Haskins. But Fields likes to make the extraordinary happen. He thinks, you know, he looks at Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and thinks that's the kind of quarterback he is. So that's kind of what my always concern was with Fields, and that's why I said preseason. 
I'm like, well, let's be careful with Justin Fields because even though he looks more entertaining than Trevor Lawrence, he's not where Lamar Jackson was at that same phase. And even Lamar now yeah. still picked on at the pro level because there are certain throws he can't make. So yeah. that's the situation no, they put themselves in. I mean, Ohio State shouldn't even be in this game, if we're being honest. They do not deserve to be here. If they had another two all. or three games, I don't think there would be as much bickering. If they had played nine games, I don't think there would be as much bickering. I really yeah. don't. But no, at the same I, time, I don't disagree. They also canceled two of their own games. Exactly. And the Big Ten was dog shit this year. Pretty much. I mean, Michigan, we knew what was going to happen. Penn State, James Franklin got exposed. I, I'm, I'm very thankful that people have realized that James Franklin is not that good of a coach because the dudes only won one game versus a ranked opponent, and that was against a Michigan team that was ranked 11th in the country that should not have been. So yeah, they shouldn't have been. Yeah. I mean – Michigan's always overranked, though, every year. <laughs> I mean, th- this goes back to the recruiting aspect. Like, look at the schools that are all competing for the same talent. Like, Michigan and Notre Dame are recruiting the same kids as Stanford now. Yeah. Literally the level we're at in 2020 college football. If you said that 40 years ago, people would look at you like, wait, that Bill Walsh guy went back to Stanford? Like, that's what <laughs> really would have happened. So, right, right. it's kind of <laughs> insane. Yeah. No, you're right. All right, so you have Bama winning, and you have Ohio State winning? I mean, I'm going to be hopeful, but I think Clemson's just a more talented team. I mean, Lawrence, this is the show. If Lawrence is going to prove he's the number one pick, and I think the Jaguars, if you're the, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars trying to build a brand and try to distinguish yourself from what Tampa Bay has done and what – and obviously some – in New Orleans as well, try to steal fans away from some of these other fan bases and maybe solidify your own home base, they got to build – and obviously they have a lot of Florida talent from there. So why not add some kid from South Carolina and Trevor Lawrence all of a sudden becomes a star quarterback, probably the best thing that's happened since the Jimmy Smith, Mark Brunel days. So he's that, he's that capable. I don't know what his upside would be, but I think Trevor Lawrence, the audition tape, if you wanted to really go out there, assuming the workouts this off season are going to be just as weird as last year where they only had limited workouts. There weren't as many pro days. So you, that, think, you think there's a possibility that Trevor Lawrence is not the number one pick, Brian? Oh, there is no chance at this point he's not. I think yeah, okay. yeah, he's a soul that the number one pick as Burrow was at this point last year. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, before yeah. the season even started, he was considered the number one pick for sure. I was honestly not as sold on him as you were, but he has proved me wrong this year. He's been a lot better, especially under the circumstances. Like he's not tougher being than people give him credit for. Yeah, I think he, even with the injuries, he like he's not Josh Allen or Matt Stafford. Okay, well let's 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 put that aside. But I mean, he's not as brittle as a Marcus Mariota, or like he's not that. So that that's at least an upside. Yeah. Now with Lawrence, what I is going to happen is what if he struggles out the gate? Because you know there were games that he played. That Syracuse game two years ago comes to mind because Dino Babers, it, with the right team, can make things work. And that Syracuse team was ranked in the top 20 in the country nationally on defense. Now, granted, the teams they played may not have deserved it, but that's what they were ranked. And they held Trevor Lawrence to 240 yards, which, I mean, is an average game for most quarterbacks in college level. But when you're Clemson, that's not good enough. Yeah, my biggest worry with quarterbacks from big schools like that, bro, and this was what worried me about Tua as well, was that when you surround dudes with, like, four and five star recruits like top level talent and the same thing went for matt liner at usc 
then they get into the NFL and they've never really had to deal with adversity. And now it's their first time having to deal with adversity. And you kind of said it a little bit where, how are they going to do when they fail? And I think Josh Rosen wasn't able to uh, deal with failure. And we see this often with big name quarterbacks out of college. They just can't deal with failure once they get into the NFL and they're an average dude in the NFL. You know what I mean? Their teams are just as good as a guy as a team on the other side of the field. Um, You know, it's professional level and, for them to deal with that, I think is a little bit tough. And that's kind of my biggest question mark about Trevor Lawrence. I know that's not fair because, you know, I'm basing it on other people's history, but I mean, that is a a worry. Absolutely. I mean, if if we're going to compare anyone to staff, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, if you're going to go way back in college football folklore, it'd be kind of like Steve Barkowski coming out of Cal where it was just like Cal was just such a vertical offense for its time. And then Barkowski got to Atlanta, and of course Atlanta could play defense. They got plenty of stops. But again, Barkowski didn't have the weapons around him to utilize his great arm. So that – but I don't think that's going to be a problem in Jacksonville considering DJ Chark is a really capable receiver. There. Um, hopefully Day-Day Westbrook sticks around, and then they can kind of figure out that offensive line from there. They're not in bad yeah. – say a Houston Texans but oh I, yeah no and they have a ton of picks too right so they can yeah they can rebound quickly I think the Jets too could too I think the Jets could easily rebound as well so either lane they should rehire Rex I would love to see Rex and <laughs> take over the Jets again oh, those were fun teams <laughs> oh my god do you like sports yeah do you like beer Well, the perfect podcast exists for you. Tune in every Monday as I, Jordan, stacks on stacks on stacks, lats. And me, Big Ball and Ben Larson, as we recap the weekend sports, preview upcoming games, and review quality craft brews on the Taproom Sports Podcast. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast fix. Visit taproomsportspodcast.com for more info. All right, let's move on to college basketball. Um, we've had like the beginning of the college basketball season. Has any team kind of surprised you so far this year? Well, I mean, Gonzaga is kind of separating from the pack. I mean, the Big 12 is going to be a freaking – the Big 12 is going to be tough because, you know, what? I look at J- – I had so much respect for J.B. Dixon. I haven't watched him for years in the Big East. So I know what Jamie Dixon's capable of. So I'm not worried about him being 7-2 and two down there. West Virginia has got a capable team, obviously. Um, so the big 12 is going to be in uh, like a, a Huggy bear. Yeah. It's all, it always is. The big 10 has like probably five or six teams. I mean, Illinois, uh, Kofi, Kofi is just scoring around the basket at will this season. Yeah. Love that. Michigan is always, I mean, Jawan Howard, I just, I remember him as a player too. And I have so much respect for that guy. And you know, the NCAA tried to screw him early and he's still seven and zero. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's top 10, which is great because post-bowl Ryan era, they haven't really been on the same track, but they're there. I mean, two losses, but I mean, Maryland's a capable team. Maryland probably is a top 40 team in the country at worst. So between the Big Ten, Big 12, and then some of the ACC teams have to start coming along. Um, We'll go from there, but I think Gonzaga right now, unless Baylor or Kansas really – and hit their stride. I mean, that's going to be a tough battle once they get in the tournament because that these conference tournaments, if they happen, are always grueling. 
Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga does this every year, and then we see them in the tournament, and they kind of trip up. But, I mean, the tournament's a one loss and you're out. So, I mean, it's tough to, like, put a ton of blame on a team when you only get one loss and you're out. But I, mean, I agree with you. I think Gonzaga, hands down, best team in the country. I mean, they demolished Iowa. They played a lot of – they played really good teams and have been able to win. Um, it's crazy, though, the Pac-12. I thought this was going to be a deep Pac-12 year, and the Pac-12 is absolute fucking horrendous this year bro the only ranked team is Oregon right now USC probably should or could be ranked but they haven't really played that many games because they've had a lot of cancellations right. um but what about Kentucky bro they're one in six right now I think Calipari's hit a point and I and I remember mentioning this to Osahan when I talked to him recently too my co-host from Reform Hooligans when we talk basketball. It's almost like he hit a Jose Mourinho point where it's like he forgot how good of a coach he was and he's just trying to go – he's going to the motions and you can tell. I think Calipari needs like a year or two off. He looks so worn out right now. Like I think Kentucky needs to go in a different direction. It's what? not – I think so. I mean, here's the thing. Calipari looks worn out. Like – not Urban Meyer, like, out the door, worn out, but, like, Chris Peterson at Washington, worn out, where it's, like, all the momentum that they had had just kind of stagnated. Yeah. Then you have to take it to the next level, but that guy's just not there. And there's so many talented young coaches in college basketball right now that if Kentucky misses on one of those guys, I mean, I'm not saying Dan Hurley would be deserving of the Kentucky job, but that's just one of, like, 10 or 11 names in that Calipari tree that they can pluck out of and put into Kentucky with the same recruiting strategy and they don't have to change a thing. If they want to Man. keep going. I think Dan Hurley's going to ultimately take over Duke eventually. I think that's the job he's really waiting for. Um, but I think you're right. I think a guy like Chris Beard would be a great option. You know, he's down that's there. That's another Texas great tag. option. I say Hurley because UConn athletic department is an utter shambles. Uh, they are like 26 million in the under, so they're not really. They're going to be in a situation pretty much where Oregon was perceived to be with Mario Cristobal, where they don't have the leverage to keep these guys from getting plucked. Yeah. Obviously, Cristobal stayed at Oregon. Brian Harson becomes the coach at Auburn, which I actually like that hire a lot better. I think Harson's much more of a visionary, which for a school like Auburn is how they're going to be able to tilt the tide in the SEC. But at the same going basketball like Dan Hurley's at UConn and UConn obviously Jim Calhoun that those days are long gone Kevin Ollie was one of the greatest point guards to ever play at UConn and him and the school are at a legal dispute that has been going on and on and on for years already never mind the fact they're also paying Randy Etzel two contracts so it's kind of ridiculous that you themselves up for disaster so you look at what like, Ohio State was able to grab uh, the Creighton coach, uh, Chris Mack. Like, you, you're missing out on all these coaches, and eventually you're going to have to break the bank for one of these younger coaches when you miss out on a Bobby Hurley and a Dan Hurley or Chris Beard. Yeah. That's, that's tough, especially when you have UCLA coming in with an athletic director that knows how to raise money. And Mickey Cronin is a hell of a coach. And he was Mickey a, Cronin's a great coach. Right across the, the Ohio River, that could have been something. Now, I'm not saying that like it has to work out that way, but I just think it, when you look at Calipari, it's the same way Jamie Dixon looked at the last couple of years in Pittsburgh. 
the same way that John Chaney in the last couple of years at Temple. Uh, Rick Pitino towards the end I mean, of Louis. Chaney was at Temple for like 40 years, though. Yeah, I mean, Temple, then again, because of how steady that basketball program was, it saved the rest of their sports. Football now is competitive. Yeah. And that's not really a traditional football school. No. So that's really what it is. I think you, if, you, if athletic departments build themselves smart, then that's why a lot of these Big East schools, these private schools, can function because they know how to live within their means. I mean, Georgetown took a while to come back. But I think with Ewing, they have the right support to come back. Right. You know, you don't want to be like – I mean, USC gets a lot of crap. But, I mean, it's hard in Southern California when USC is perceived as a, bas- as a football school. UCLA is the dominant basketball program. It's harder for in-state kids in California already because of whatever limitations the state governments have. Plus, you're getting persuaded that, oh, Kansas, Will Chamberlain went here. Oh, Duke, Kyrie Irving went here. Or North Carolina, Roy Williams is the damn coach still. So it's hard yeah. to compete that level of coaching because it's all on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, I mean, Arizona usually always gets, like, the California best player, usually. I mean, they have for a majority of the last, like, two decades. But before that, it was always UCLA. That's where the top California kid. And, I mean, this year, you know, BJ Boston, he won Mr. California Basketball. He went to Kentucky. Kentucky's not doing very well, obviously. The second I was best surprised player, USC with Evan Mobley, he didn't pull the trigger on that. I thought that would have been a good duo for them. I, I thought Zaire Williams and Evan Mobley would have been good. And Zaire Williams was like 50-50 USC Stanford, ended up going to Stanford, which, I mean, you can't blame the kid. That's a great uh, school. Um, so, I mean, the West Coast is just super competitive. And then, obviously, you have Oregon now with uh, – I mean, Gonzaga pretty much runs the West Coast right now. Yeah, I mean, dude, Zaga doesn't even really get the top West Coast recruits. So, like, Oregon, Dana Altman gets some, USC, right. Arizona – Against Zaga, Mark Fugis, I mean, he builds a program, dude, and he gets, like, Juco transfers, and he gets grad transfers all the time. And Jalen Suggs was a, was his best recruit he's ever had, his first five-star recruit. Got him. Um, obviously, he got Austin Day previously. That was his last best recruit. But for the most part, Gonzaga really builds that program from the ground up internally. Like, they get the right guys in there, and they play the same style basketball. They're very well-disciplined. Andy recruits internationally very well. Yeah, I mean, DeMontis Savonis sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, watching him hit the, uh, the last basket in that Celtics game the other day when the Pacers won, you know, just that's that's the kind of player Gonzaga's been going after. I mean, going back to Adam Morrison getting to the championship game, the Final Four. Yeah. I mean, Gonzaga's been kind of knocking on the door for a long time. I think college basketball could use that. It would be kind of like the Houston teams in the 70s with Elvin Hayes that won. That's kind of like where Gonzaga's at at this point because Houston was always – too. And Duke at that point, too. They were always knocking on the door, and eventually they broke it. Yep. Um, I don't know. I, I think at this point for Gonzaga, the Big 12, whoever the Big 12 champ is, is going to be as battle-tested as anybody. Uh Depending on what happens with Duke and Carolina, I'm sure by the uh, time the ACC season kicks around, they'll settle themselves in. Yeah, I don't think either of those teams are really that good. I think this is a down year for the ACC, bro. Most likely. But at the same time, you know, they'll get the hype and, you know, it will get built up. So, I mean, even as a two or a three seed, you still have to watch out because those dudes may be playing. Some guys elevate them. Sometimes it takes a whole season to elevate. I mean, yep. Calabas done it before that. Julius Randle, Kentucky team, that was an eight seed. 
Kemba's Yukon Huskies that were a five seed when they got in the tournament. Uh, because, I mean, Calhoun missed like 10 games coaching that year. Kevin Ollie was like coaching that season half the way through anyway. So, I mean, that, those are the kind of anomalies that happen. And because of the way the NCAA tournament is in comparison to the playoff, where the NCAA playoff is broken, but you look at the college basketball, there's so much purity in the NCAA tournament. Facts. And I anything can happen. Go on behind the scenes. Yes. I mean, hey, I remember seeing Northeastern win a, a game, and downtown Boston was nuts. Washington, dude. Remember that? I do. George Mason in the final four. George Mason. That's what I meant. George Mason. Yeah. I mean, Harvard. Harvard's put up some good games in the tournament. Yale. Yale. Again, had a first round. That was always a fun time. And that was the same year that the uh, NCAA hockey championship, the Frozen Four, was Quinnipiac versus Yale, which is like the Battle of New Haven. Oh, shit. That was was all a couple – that was like literally five weeks apart. That was nuts. You fucking Northeasterners, man. (laughs) The crazy bunch. Yes. All right, so we both agree Gonzaga, best team in the country right now. Easily. All right. Who do you have winning the Big Ten this year? Well, I mean, at this point, I felt going in that if Michigan had – if Jawan Howard could get them off to a great start and get them rolling – and they can avoid all the BS that the bas- that the football team kind of fell themselves into, that Michigan was going to be very capable because Jawan Howard is going to have them prepared. Even with a team that really wasn't clicking on all cylinders last year, Howard still got that team to work, which was still shocking. I mean, Maryland, obviously, Maryland's always going to knock on the door. I just feel like until you get to tournament time, uh, you so know. So tough to tell. But, but, I mean, Iowa, Iowa's a team that, you know, you look at how they match up against Ohio State, Michigan State, smaller teams. They're going to be able to match up well because Garza is going to force those guys to have to cover in the perimeter. And he could put the ball on the floor a little bit, which yeah. that's a different element. And then, obviously, you look at Illinois. Illinois is a team that also is going to give the smaller teams problems because of Kofi. Garza, uh, Garza just can't – I mean, not necessarily just Garza, but Iowa, they're so bad defensively, bro. And they're really only two – they only have – two guys offensively that can really create their own shot but, yeah, same, but i mean in college though you can in college you can, you can really run that. offense though you can run offense to get shots you don't need a guy that scores i mean it does make it more beneficial but you could still get create shots but i think in college it, it's really all starts on the defensive end if you're not a good defensive team you're not going to win in the tournament and that's where i think uh, I was going to fall. I actually think Minnesota might be a sleeper team in the Big Ten. I, I've been really impressed with them the last few games. Uh, Marcus Carr, you know, the transfer from Pitt, he's been balling out. I like that team, man. It comes down to February for Minnesota. The last three years, that, that's been their crutch. Yeah, but, I mean, they also having uh, – they had a bunch of injuries last year. They did. During conference play. So, I think that kind of set them back. But, man, I like where they're going this year. You know, beating down fucking Michigan State tonight. That was dope. So I'm going to take Minnesota. Minnesota is my Big Ten champ, I think. See, I'm I'm, I'm out on a league, dude. I'm out here making predictions. Yeah, I mean, there's five teams that are really in that hunt. Um, I know Ohio State is just too small. They're not going to be able to – they're going to struggle out the gate against those bigger teams. But I would say right now either um, probably Minnesota – Iowa, if they can get going, and then Illinois, I think they have. Illinois just they know how to move the ball, and defensively, you know they're gonna. They just they 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 can play good zone defense, and for those yeah. teams, 
Uh, and there's not a lot of good three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten. Now, that will oh, right. Illinois screwed in the tournament if they play like a good shooting team. But for now, they can probably win the Big Ten based on the Also, fact they, they, they struggled against an athletic team like Baylor, dude. Like, they really struggled. So I well, think Baylor's Lane, on another level, yeah. Yeah, but, I'm, but, I mean, there's a lot of athletic teams out there, especially in the Pac-12, and that's where we saw a team like Oregon, a, uh, you know, a year ago – they, or two years ago, they were what the ninth seed and ended up making an elite eight run because they're they're long and they're athletic and they can defend and close. And the uh, only team that really gave them fits that whole tournament run until they lost, of course, that last game where they just ran out of gas was URI. Yeah. And that was a team that had a lot of big time transfers that went there. UC Matthews in particular. I mean, URI had I mean as much size as anybody in the country. They had like two seven footers that consistently played. Uh, yeah. Both right now too so that's really it and when I, I look back at that Oregon team that's just they're just a well-coached team and I think you notice in college basketball the teams that are well-coached can kind of manage the manage through the rubble if you will and I think that's where the Big Ten is going to be separated and that's why you have guys like Matt Painter at Purdue I mean Purdue even when they're average they can still cause a few upsets so that's why I think if they play the conference tournament games things will change. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know that's how the Big Ten rolls. You're going to see a lot of crazy upsets. And Big Ten's deep, man. Another yeah. deep year for the Big Ten. I mean, Ten. it's crazy in the in, in the Big East now. You go back to the Big East, which is all the old private schools that were in the old Big East. I mean, you got Providence that got two guards that can score uh, anytime they want to. Yep. It's still a work in progress. Villanova is in a class of their own. Oh, the- yeah. Uh, Jay Wright, obviously, if best coach, if the NBA were more like the NFL, where coaches would progress, Jay Wright would definitely be a pro coach. I think it would work for him in the NBA. Uh, Oh yeah, hell yeah! If Brad Stevens can stick around for eight years, then I don't, I don't have an issue with Jay Wright. But I think with Jay, it's just the structure of how Villanova defends and the way that the offense really hasn't changed dynamically in the last twelve years for Nova. It's still. Mm -hmm movement creating the best shot and i mean they always have guys that can long shot i mean da vincio is a name that comes into mind uh randy foy is a name that comes into my head too alan ray alan ray of course i mean they know how to stretch the floor and even the bigs amari spellman is hitting threes in the nba yep really jay wright's grooming them yep that's the thing with Villanova and Jay Wright is he always – his players, as you see it in the next level too, they always play the game the right way. They defend well. They hustle. They never give up. And they usually have high basketball IQs. And I think you're right. Like he's been doing the same thing for 12 years. He like really – even longer than 12 years. I mean since like what, 2005 he was there, 2004? Seems like he's been there for 20 years, yeah. Yeah, and that – that's another program like Gonzaga and Duke prior. Like it's a small. I mean, Nova school. pretty much replaced Syracuse as the crown jewel of the uh, of the Northeast as far as basketball. Yep. Like man, Syracuse UConn is got falling passed. off, bro. Jim Beheim should have retired a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, he should have. I, I, I mean, it's not 1999 anymore. I mean, if it wasn't for Melo, his career would be so much different. And I'm glad that Melo, you know, had that run that he did. It made it made it fun for to root for Syracuse, but let me tell you, that is the only time I ever rooted for Syracuse basketball. <laughs> Man, I love I always love how they play with like Devendorf and 
all those oh, like, yeah. you know, misfits, dude. They just had dudes. That, that five overtime game, I stayed up the whole night. That was that was a three thirty a.m. bed. Oh my god. That I wasn't missing that. That was nuts. Shoot. Well, it's probably getting late over there on the East Coast right now. Yeah, it's late. Damn. So yeah, let's. Late. We'll cut this one short this week. We'll be back yeah. next week. We're going to recap the college football playoff, and we'll get into more college basketball. Brian will you know, he'll give his expertise on college hockey coming up because I don't know a damn thing about college hockey. So once again, follow us, the program podcast. You can catch us at www.tapperingsportspodcast.com slash the program. You can find us on Spotify and Apple. I am Jordan Lads here with my co-host, Brian Lewis, the man, the myth, the legend. We will catch y'all next week. Have a good week, fellas. Happy New Year's and enjoy the college football playoff. Every day I got some fly shit on, keeping all black outfit on. I already bagged most of the chicks that you out here trying to get on. You just catching up to what I've been on. Yeah, that's what I've been on. I see what you're trying to do. That's not even kind of new. That's that shit I've been on. All these girls you see around, I already took them down. That's that shit I've been on. It's a huddle, guys. It's a huddle. Huddle, Latin for round. Come on, turn around. All right, there you go. All right, now, communication is the key. I signal the quarterback with the play. He relates it to you in the huddle, and then we try it on the field. Okay, let's do it. Okay, guys, it's a curl out to the fullback on two. Hey, 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 wait a second. How come you never call a play for me? You're a tackle, diphead. Hey, nobody calls me a diphead except my brother. Guys, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'll just run the ball. You always run the ball. Why can't I run the ball? Because you're slow and no one likes you. Well, you can't go to my birthday. Oh boy. Okay, guys, that was good for a first time. Let's try it again. Need to get prepared for the NFL weekend? Join us on APR, the annexation of Puerto Rico, an ode to the Little Giants movie of 1994 starring Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis, a new football podcast brought to you by Taproom Sports Podcasts. It features Taproom Sports Podcast hosts Jordan, Stacks on Stacks on Stacks, Lats, and Big Ballin' Ben Larson. Joined by Weekend Waiver Wires, Steady Eddie Martin, and me, Tiffany, from Picks by Chicks, as we preview the upcoming week slate of games from a betting and fantasy point of view. Visit taproomsportspodcast.com for more information.